Good morning. It's good to see you here. Uh, spring has sprung. How great is this? What a wonderful day. Uh, spring has sprung and the birds are flying and the birds are singing and a lot of our birds have flown the nest for the Sunday. So we have a number of our families away enjoying themselves. You are the chosen few and you will receive your reward uh, in heaven if not before. Okay. Uh, it's good to have our kids with us as well. Uh, on the third Sunday, they uh, come and join us in the service, which is great. Can I give you a bit of a heads up for next week? Our kids will be um, presenting something to us uh, during the service, so come early for that. They've been working on... Uh, I'm not going to tell you what they've been working on. It'll be a nice surprise for you, so we'll look forward to that next Sunday, so come and be, be ready for that. Because a number of our folk are away and because uh, one of the participants in the measure up, you know, we have two kids that we are measuring on the third Sunday. Well, uh, one of them's not here today, so we're going to put that off for a month. So, Xavier, you've got another month to grow. Okay? All right. Keep working on that. Okay. Today you will see lots of green around Vancouver and you will see lots of people pretending to have Irish ancestry. And you will see that at the back Arlene has cooked us green pancakes for today. And I see a number of you are wearing green. Isn't that great? Because today is St. Patrick's Day. And whether you are Irish or not, I think you will agree that St. Patrick was actually a good guy. He was a missionary who brought the good news of Jesus to many, many people, many, many people uh, in the land of, uh, of Ireland. And he knew what, or more precisely, who was important. Here's one of his prayers. May Christ shield me today, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit, Christ when I stand, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Do you notice a word there? What's the word? <laughs> Very good. Christ. Christ. You see, St. Patrick knew it's all about Jesus. Our life only makes sense with Jesus. Our life has purpose with Jesus. We can only be the people that we're created to be with Jesus. And therefore, I guess, the important goal, the most important goal of our lives is to get to know Jesus. And to grow in Jesus. 
And that's what we're committed to doing here at City View. Those of you who are regular will know that this is our word for 2019. It's grow. And we have for the first part of this been this year been looking at how we grow in Jesus and how we can grow in these areas that we identified at the beginning of the year as being areas that we as a church need to grow in. Areas of our lives and my life that when I get to the end of this year, I want to look back and say, you know what? I actually grew, grew in that area. Praise God. And we've spent a good number of weeks looking at spiritual disciplines. Those habits that will help us grow spiritually if we try to incorporate them into our daily lives. So we've looked at meditation, meditating on God's Word. We've looked at prayer, finding those intimate moments when we can just be with God. Uh, confession. That might be a clue to what the kids are doing next week. But confession. Bringing all of our guilt and shame and recognizing that our good Father takes them away. Celebration, the spiritual discipline of celebration. We need to do that. Fasting. And last week we looked at servanthood, service. And I hope many of us are learning how to live in those disciplines. But here's the thing. Please listen. We can become totally proficient in these. We can get fantastic passing grades in these. We can be masters of these disciplines. And yet, not grow in our relationship with Jesus. We can religiously follow these habits and end up becoming religiously religious. And ultimately, if we do that, we're going to miss out on all that St. Patrick yearned for and lived for, which was Jesus. You see, guys, this, these spiritual disciplines are merely a means to an end. And that end, just actually like the beginning, is always Jesus. Being attached to Jesus and to have Jesus in everything. In the joys of life and in the pains of life. And I want you to hold on to that because that's going to be vital for us to grasp and understand as we look at our topic this morning. This morning and for the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a mini-series within the big series. Isn't that cool? We're going to be uh, looking at grow, but we're going to be looking at how we grow in faith. How we can grow in trusting God more in our lives. This topic uh, is the one that got the most votes in our beginning of the year poll of areas that we want to grow in. You said, I, I want to grow in faith. 
and I want to grow trusting God. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a number of ways that we can do that. Can I just ask, first of all, how many of you want to grow in your faith and trust Jesus more? Okay, this is not a rhetorical question. Okay, fantastic. Most of you. (laughs) That's wonderful. But as I said to uh, my UK friends when they voted to leave Europe three years ago, I said to them, be careful what you wish for. You see, growing in faith is fantastic. It's a great goal to have, but growing in faith is not a merely, merely a theological sit back and listen exercise. We will not grow in faith by reading books about how to grow in faith. We will not grow in faith by sitting back and listening to sermons about growing in faith. Growing in faith requires movement. It happens as we walk with Jesus in our everyday lives. And if you and I want to grow in faith, grow closer to Jesus, it will involve being vulnerable. It will involve taking risks. It will involve stepping outside of your comfort zone and... As we will see this morning, it will involve suffering and pain. Let me show you where growing in faith really happens. I'm going to stick my neck out this morning. I'm going to make two prophetic uh, statements about this year. Firstly, no matter how good a year you will have, no matter how settled and secure you feel, there will be times when life will become hard and difficult and a struggle. And my second, duh, and my second prophetic statement, no matter how hard or difficult or a struggle life becomes, no matter what trials you face, God will still be good. He will still be working out his purposes in your life. Hard life, good God. And do you know where growth in faith happens? Somewhere along that continuum. Somewhere in the middle of this tension between hard life and good God. And it's in that tension that I want us to sit this morning and discover how we, with God's help, can suffer and yet grow. (laughs) Seriously? Suffer and grow? I am acutely aware that many of us are suffering right now. And for many of us, all we want to do is actually survive that suffering. 
to just get through the next day. <laughs> Trevor, I can't think about growing. But here's the thing. As we face our suffering and trials with God's help, and as we lean on him, we learn to survive. And out of that, we learn to grow in faith and trust. And I, I think that's what God wants us to hear this morning and wants us to look at this morning. And I'm going to let James and a few passages from his New Testament letter show us how this can be done. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to James. It's towards the end of the, uh, uh, of the New Testament. Uh, and we're going to start at the very, very beginning. We're going to read uh, the first five verses, and then we're going to uh, read uh, verse 12. Follow it along with me, if you would. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom... He should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And you know what? It's going to be given to you. And then verse 12 said, Blessed, happy is the man or woman who perseveres under trial. Because when she has stood the test, she will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The book of James, uh, I'll be honest, is one of my favorite books. I love the book of James. The book of James is a very down-to-earth book. It's a very in-your-face, practical handbook of how to live everyday life following Jesus. And you can see... There's no flowery introduction to this letter. It's not like Paul's letters where he has sort of wax lyrical for, you know, sort of verses upon verses. James just says, hi, my name's James. I'm a, I serve Jesus and any Christians, wherever they are, hi. That's how he starts it. And then in verse 2, he immediately leaps into the tough stuff. That's the introduction. And he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. He goes into straight away into the hard days, the dark days, the difficult days, the painful days of life. Why does he start here? Two reasons. Firstly, the readers of this letter were Jewish followers of Jesus who had been scattered. 
by persecution. The persecution of the church around 50 AD. They, in a sense, were the refugees of their day. They had to leave their homes, abandon their homes. They're in a strange land. And when you're in a strange land, guess what? You experience fear. You experience discrimination and hatred. And so James knows that. And he needs to address that up front. This is the burning issue on on their, their mind. And secondly, he starts with the tough stuff because he's a realist. He knows that life can be hard, that life can kick you where it hurts, so don't be shocked when it happens. Let me ask you a question, just so that I can make sure this is applicable here. Is there anybody in the room who has not gone through a trial or some sort of suffering ever in your life? Hands up. Anyone? I just want to make sure that we're all on the the same page. Because if you're here and you've never gone through a a trial, chances are you're under the age of five. (laughs) Or you've never had a spouse. Or you've never had kids. Or you've never paid a bill. Or you've never tried to find housing in Vancouver. Or maybe you're not human. Maybe, and I have my doubts with some of you. But no, no names, Philip. But suffering happens. It does. We live in a broken world. It's part of life. But Trevor, isn't all that suffering and pain just for those weaker Christians? You know, those who don't have enough faith. Because if you're a strong Christian, you don't have bad days. You don't struggle. It must be right because I saw it on the TV, that guy in the white suit who's trying to sell me his holy water. He told me. Scripture tells us again and again and again that we will suffer persecution and trials in this life as followers of Jesus. Even Jesus told us to pick up our cross every day. Look at verse 2. James doesn't say, if you face trials. He says, when, whenever, when you face trials. You see, if you choose to follow Jesus, there is not no opt-out clause. It's not like negotiating Brexit. That's the second time I've mentioned it, and I'm really fed up about it. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I'm I'm voting to leave Europe. But I tell you what, I still want to have that cheap wine. The French cheese. Can I have that? And it's like that when we follow Jesus. You say, you know what, I'm voting for following Jesus. I'm all for that. But can can we take out that suffering bit? I don't like that. Can we have the backstop for suffering? Suffering will happen. It's inevitable. So what we're going to briefly look at is how we can survive that suffering and also grow in our faith in and through those trials. 
And James says that there's three ways. And we'll get to those in a minute. But I've got to build the tension. Uh, But first, we need to look at what sort of trials James is talking about. The Greek word he uses for for facing trials here literally means to fall into. Or to be more precise, to fall into unexpectedly or suddenly, without warning. The same word is used in the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember the guy who's, who's sort of walking and, and he, uh, we're told, fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him? The picture is that of someone going along, minding their own business, not looking for trouble, when suddenly... Trouble happens and trouble hits. So the trials we face are those that we stumble into during the course of everyday living, often without any prior warning. We, we just fall into them. A couple of Thursdays ago, we woke up, uh, Linda and I, and we were uh, getting ready for work, and Linda was in the bathroom. She came out into the bedroom and said, I can't feel my right arm. I can't feel my right arm. And then she said, I feel a a little funny. And I noticed that her mouth started to droop a little bit on one side. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. So we rushed into hospital and she was there for three days. And and they found out she had had a, a, a small stroke, a very mild stroke. Woke up on Thursday morning thinking, well, this is going to be a good day. And then we fell into, unexpectedly, trouble. I, I think of someone like, um, like Job. You know, he's going through life, he's a good man, he's minding his own business, and then bam, his business goes belly up. He, his health, he loses his health and eventually even loses his family. What happened? What did I, what? He didn't do anything to bring that on. But life happened. And I'm sure each of us can identify to some degree with with those trials. So James is telling his readers that trials will come perhaps when we least expect them. So don't be surprised. And then he tells us how we should deal with them in a way that we not only survive them, but we can grow. Three ways. First way is seeing our suffering through a different lens. Here's all these, think about the listeners to this letter, first of all. All these people living away from their homes in fear and suffering, being hated, being abused, waiting for words of encouragement from their pastor. Pastor James. And here's what he says. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Seriously? Is that it? That's the word of encouragement? Thanks, Pastor. These pastors, they don't know anything, do they? When religious people say this, I I want to extend the right hand of fellowship to them in a very ungodly way. 
You know, you've just lost your job and you've been dumped by your girlfriend or your boyfriend and someone offers up this verse. And they say, hey, you know, you just need to view this with joy, man. I know the wheels look like they're falling off your life at the moment and I know life's tragic for you, but this is joyous. This is the sweetest time in your life. Or those folk who come in and say, hey guys, guess what? I've got prostate cancer. Praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? But is that what James is saying here? No. What's he saying? And how on earth are we to be joyful in these circumstances? Well, it's all about perspective. Notice the imperative in verse 2. doesn't say, act joyous in the moment that you encounter trials. But rather, consider it as joy. Some translations say, count it as joy. You see, what James isn't doing here is dismissing the emotion that comes with trials and suffering. He's not telling you when trials come, you just need to put on that smile and jump for joy. He's not dismissing the emotion. He's not wiping away grief and pain. I know some of you here have suffered badly. I've seen and sat with you in the pain that you've walked through. I've seen the tears and the grief and the frustration. And my heart breaks with yours. And what James is saying here, that when the trials come, you're going to experience grief. You're going to feel pain and brokenness. You will feel wounded. You will have sorrow. He's not dismissing the emotion of trials and suffering. But he wants us to see our suffering through a different lens. A different perspective. He's using a mathematical term and saying, you need to count. You need to calculate. In the pain, in the suffering, in the sorrow... You need to somehow, and we'll get on to the how in a moment, view what is happening to you through a completely different lens. Consider it differently. Not with hopelessness, but with joy. But why count it all joy? Because in the midst of of all these struggles, with all the pain and grief and sorrow, something is happening that we cannot see or fully understand. If you're suffering right now, you you need to hang on to this picture that the God we follow, who is a good, good father, is doing something in us, changing us, transforming us, in and through the suffering. And we may not see what that is or understand what that is right now, but we need to hang on to the promise 
in Romans that he's working out his purposes somehow for good. And because we can't necessarily see it or understand it, we're going to have to just have faith to believe it. And that's where the joy comes from. Knowing that things are not just as they seem. There is hope. Even though you can't see it, there is reason. Even though you can't understand it, And if we see our trials from that perspective, through God's lens, our suffering may not change. But we will. Because we're growing. Growing in Jesus and growing in faith. How will this faith grow? Well, James says in verse 3 that one of the goals of trials in our lives is to produce perseverance or in some translations steadfastness or endurance. It's the Greek word hypomone which means to abide in or cling to. This is really important. You see one of the purposes of trials is to bring us to a place where we learn to persevere, learn to abide in or cling to Jesus. Can I just tell you that I don't like heights? I really don't like heights. Back in my younger days when I was a youth leader, we used to take youth out on uh, uh, adventure weeks, weekends. And one of the things we had to do was rock climbing. I was scared silly rock climbing. And so they made sure that they put all these harnesses on me. I had sort of like three guys holding me. And and I'm sure I had like a safety net at the bottom in case I fell. And even then, I remember climbing up this wall. And I froze. I was paralyzed with fear. And all I could do was hang on for dear life. Ever been in a situation where you're just hanging on for dear life, clinging to Jesus? Seriously, there have been times in my life where there is nothing left except clinging to Jesus by my fingertips. James says, I know it's tough. But hang in there. Cling with your fingertips to Jesus. Because you're growing. You're growing in faith. So in our trials and our suffering, we cling to Jesus. And as we do that, we learn to trust him. And the ultimate goal, James says in verse 4, is to do that to make us complete, mature, lacking nothing. You see, suffering will grow our faith as we begin to see our situation through God's perspective, through his lens. So we need perspective. Okay, Trevor, great. Thank you. I have my theology down now. That's super. God is doing something in the middle of this mess. Okay, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to trust him. In the meantime, Trevor, can I just ask, 
as I'm hanging there, clinging on for dear life, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do when I don't know where to turn next? What do I do when I'm not sure I'm actually going to get through this? What do I do? Well, James tells us in verse 5, he says, ask for God's wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You see, a trial is just like a storm. I've told you before that my dad used to um, work on the water. He had a boat, a barge that used to transfer cargo around uh, the south, south coast of England. And I used to go with him sometimes, and it would be a beautiful sunny day like today. And then we'd get out there, and all of a sudden, the clouds start to roll in. And the wind starts to get up. And the waves start to form. And you can't see land anymore. You don't know where safety is because you can't see it. All of a sudden, everything becomes unstable and uncertain. And you feel unsafe and you feel anxious. And James says, when those storms come, when those trials hit, you need what? Not man's wisdom, but God's wisdom. You see, when trials come in our life and we get disorientated, and we can't think straight, we can't make good decisions, we feel as though we're being tossed around here and there, and so we need to find some sort of balance. And that is what wisdom gives us. God's wisdom will help us to see above the waves. His wisdom will help us to see the horizon. God's wisdom will help us to see how we're actually going to survive this and persevere through this. And wisdom, God's wisdom gives us the strength to do it. So how do we get that wisdom? Ask. Yeah, and? <laughs> we ask. We ask. We ask our Father in heaven, who we're told loves to give generously to his children. He's not, he's not holding his wisdom here and saying, come on, you've got to prize it out of my hand. He says, just ask, and I'll give you this. I, I found a prayer this week that I had written during one of a really, really tough time uh, in our lives. And uh, I thought, I, I'd forgotten that I'd written it down. But this is a prayer that I've prayed many times. God, I have no clue what's going to happen right now. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why me. I don't know why now. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this, but God, I know something to be true about you. I know you're good. I know you're sovereign. I know you're holy. I know you're loving. I know you have me in the palm of your hands. 
And so, God, right now, I'm crying out. I don't know what to do. I need your wisdom. I need your strength to view this in a completely different way. A way that will press me further into your son, that will allow him to be my sufficiency and not myself. God, I need you to carry me through this. I've prayed that type of prayer many times in my life. You probably have too, I'm sure. And sometimes after I pray, I get clarity. But sometimes I don't. And I have to keep praying. But I can tell you that with his strength and his peace and his wisdom, I've actually managed to get through each day of each crisis. There was a lady who lived across the street from my parents called Mrs. Hammond. Her husband had been involved in a, an accident at work that had left him completely paralyzed and brain damaged. They couldn't afford any special help, so she looked after him, her husband, day and night, 24-7, 365 days of the year, feeding him, washing him, dressing him, for 23 years until he died. Mrs. Hammond, she, she, was, she was a lovely Christian lady, and I asked her one day, I said, how on earth did you cope? And she told me that there were times that she really literally wanted to give up. But she said, I, she prayed every morning for Jesus to give her all the strength and wisdom she needed just to make it through that day. And then she looked at me, and with a smile she said, and you know what? He never once let me down. So in order to survive and ultimately grow in our suffering, we need to see it through a different lens. And we need to ask God to impart his wisdom to help us through it. And finally, James tells us that we can grow in suffering by focusing on the prize. Look at verse 12. It says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who loved, who loved him. Ten years ago, I did something incredibly foolish. I did a half marathon. And I did a half marathon because I thought I was fit. And I thought, you know, and so because of that, I thought, it's not far, was it 21 kilometers or something? That's not far. I can do that. So I didn't train for it. And my kids, who were a lot younger then, were really excited. Dad was going to do this race. And they had made banners for me. You know, so go, Dad. Way you made it, Dad. And so, anyway, so they waited at the finish line for me. And I set off. And as I went off the first 10K, I was cruising past everybody. I was just not a problem. This is a piece of cake. 
The next five kilometers were a little bit tougher, and then I hit 16 kilometers. And everything started to break down. I, I, I poured, uh, pulled a hammy, I pulled a groin, I pulled muscles that I didn't know I had, and my feet hurt, I had blisters, my, they were bleeding. And it was a half marathon that you, you end up going around Stanley Park. And so I so remember entering Stanley Park thinking I've got to go all the way around there to get to the finish. And I'm, I'm literally, I'm hobbling. I'm hobbling along. Women with strollers are going by me. Men of 85 years uh, age are going by me. They're whizzing by me and they're saying, are you okay? I'm saying, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> fine. So I'm hobbling to the line. And do you know what? For that five kilometers around Stanley Park, I so wanted to give up. But do you know what kept me going? It was the thought of my kids at the finish line with those sighs and that smile and them running to me and hugging me and saying, Dad, you made it. I don't know what sort of pain and suffering you're going through at the moment. I don't know what pain or suffering you're going to go through in the future. But I do know that there will be a day when there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more illness. There'll be no more suffering. When the race will be over, and at the finishing line, there will be Jesus waiting for us. Maybe he'll have a sign, I don't know. And he'll come up to us, and he'll hug us, and he'll say, well done, you made it, you made it. Patrick wanted Jesus to be everything to him. He wanted Jesus to be in everything. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus is in your suffering? He's in your grief and sorrow. He's in your tears and your struggles. And he understands. And he's in the middle of all of that comforting you and at the same time working out his good purposes in your life. Helping you to see the horizon. Helping you to see the finish line. Helping you to survive each moment of each day so that you can grow. Grow in Jesus. Grow in faith, and trust. Grow more in your love for him. Let's pray.
is a great time for us just to respond to the Lord. It's a great time for us to know that he is here. And for those of you guys who are going through pain and suffering right now, I need you to know that Jesus is with you in that. You need to know you need to know that you're not alone. And, and even if you can't see it, even if you don't understand what's going on, you need to believe that God is doing something. Your good father is working out his good purposes in your life. You need to know. And maybe for those of you who the pain isn't so acute now, maybe you can see how you've grown. And maybe you need to thank, thank the Lord, praise the Lord for what has happened in your life and how he's led you through. Give thanks to him for that. Father, I want to thank you. I thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. You never abandon us in our time of and of pain and of suffering. You're with us. Thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are uh, someone who knows suffering and knows pain. You understand. And Lord, I pray that you would give us your wisdom as we go through that suffering here this morning. Lord, that you would help us to see the horizon. You would help us to see above the roofs. You would help us to see a way forward, even if it's just to get through this day. Give us all that we need. Thank you, Jesus.